Our next speaker is someone I've known my entire life. It's, it's actually me. So let's talk about prep. Now for something totally different. Right, to end our day on. Uh, while we're getting the slides up, I have two questions for you all with hands again. How many of you have been approached by a patient about prep? Raise your hand. Okay, probably 10% or so. And how many of you have prescribed PrEP for a person? Very, very few. Okay, so what's the need today? I think everyone in the room is aware that we continue to see about 50,000, 50,000 new infections with HIV in the United States per year. And the latest data available from the CDC from 2009 was, again, that there was about 50,000. Oops, sorry, back one. About 50,000 new cases of HIV diagnosed in 2009. If that number isn't stunning enough, this data from JAMA, I call your attention to this line. This is the number of total new cases in the United States per year all the way back to 1990. So over 20 years, and you can see that that number is approximately the same. So for the last 20 years, every year in this country, 50,000 more people were infected with HIV. That is a call to action. That is to say that our standard policies for trying to control this disease are simply not working. We've not impacted that number. Even more concerning to us in New York City is that if you look at subgroups, the one group where the number of HIV infections is increasing is MSM. And in particular, it's the group of young MSM of color. This slide doesn't reproduce very well, but young is defined here as between the ages of 13 and 29. And again, if you look at all groups, IDUs, heterosexuals, MSM, the only group where infections are going up is an MSM. And you can see that's true from 2006 to 2009. And again, hard to look at the, uh, the lines here, but the one line that's truly increasing is young MSM of color. So we are failing this group. This is the group that really has the largest number of new infections. A hard group to reach. Young men in general are not in the healthcare system. And how do you reach that group? I don't have the answer to that. So as everyone knows, the prevention strategy for many years, all the way back to the 80s, was the ABC approach. Abstain, be faithful, and condoms, counseling, and testing. And ABC has worked for many, many people, but certainly it doesn't work for everyone. And that's why uh, the search for newer and different prevention strategies. And now we have a whole alphabet of different prevention strategies that have been tried, and some, particularly in the last couple years, have shown efficacy. So for instance, male circumcision of heterosexual men, three different studies from Africa, showed a 66% reduction in HIV infection. Male circumcision, at least for heterosexual men, works. Diaphragms for women didn't work. Exposure prophylaxis, that's where we're gonna spend the remainder of this talk, works, particularly for prevention of mother-to-child transmission, as everyone knows, 
and then some data for post-exposure prophylaxis, and then the bulk of my talk will be on pre-exposure prophylaxis. Microbicides were not working, of course, until just this past year. Um, and we heard the news of the 1% tenofovir gel, which was effective in preventing HIV infection in um, African women who self-applied the gel. Other approaches, the rest of the alphabet, not big success stories here. Genital tract infection control or herpes suppressive treatment really has not been found to be associated with reduced infections. Immunization, everyone's aware of the one Thai vaccine study, um, which had a low but some signal that there was prevention there. But uh, lots of work going on in that area, but it has to be a question mark. So do antiretrovirals themselves, is treatment prevention? And I think everyone in the room would agree, yes, treatment is prevention. And the best data that we have is the oldest, and that is that we can prevent a pregnant HIV-infected woman from passing the virus to her baby. Um, as you're all aware, very old data from 1994 showed that one drug alone, AZT, could reduce mother-to-child transmission from 25%, the rate that a woman without antiretrovirals passes to her child, down by two-thirds to 8%. And this is obviously very old data today. We wouldn't think of using a single drug. In fact, it's standard of care to use three drugs in a pregnant woman. And the latest estimates for mother-to-child transmission are less than 0.5%. There's less than 100 cases in the entire United States per year. So antiretrovirals in this setting is a home run. This is a success story in preventing mother-to-child transmission. Well, ART, uh, and so here's the perinatal cases. You could see peaking in the mid-90s, and then, as I said, less than uh, 100 cases per year today. Antiretrovirals are used quite commonly, as all of us know, for post-exposure prophylaxis. The data to support that much fewer data than uh, mother-to-child transmission. There is one uh, case control study published in the New England Journal in 1997, which was looking at, again, a single drug, AZT, uh, that seemed to reduce the risk of seroconversion in a healthcare worker after an occupational exposure by about 81%. But this was a case control study. Apparently, healthcare workers don't like to be randomized. Current CDC guidelines really jump off from that and the high highly suppressive effect of our current regimens. And as you well know, um, following exposure, either occupational or non-occupational exposure, current guidelines recommend two, or many people would say three-drug antiretroviral therapy for four weeks following exposure. And that that greatly reduces the risk of acquiring HIV infection from this exposure, so post-exposure. What's the data to support this? Not a lot of data. So anecdotally, it seems to work, and it is in current guidelines. Joel Gallant reviewed this earlier today. We know now that antiretrovirals given to the positive partner of a serodiscordant couple greatly reduce the risk of transmission from the positive partner on meds to the negative partner. And I won't go through the data from HPTN052, this made the uh, front page of the New York Times and papers around the world this past summer when this study came out. Um, over 1,700 discordant couples, so one positive, one negative. The positive couple in, 
member of the couple had a CD4 between 350 and 500. Important to emphasize, although this was done throughout the world, almost all the couples were heterosexual. So it really applies to that setting from what we know. The uh, HIV positive partner randomized either to start combination ART or wait until the CD4 dropped below 250. And then as Joel reviewed, there were 40 incident cases of HIV in total. 29 were linked genetically to the partner. So 11 cases occurred outside the relationship. Apparently, the study shows us that people have sex outside relationships. Who knew? Um, and if you look, the uh, group that where the positive partner delayed, there were 28 incident HIV infections. But as Joel told us this morning, only one in the group that was on antiretrovirals. And that occurred at a time only several weeks after the partner had started therapy. So that's a 96% reduction in transmission. Again, underscoring that ART treatment actually is prevention as well. Okay, well, that's giving it to the positive person. The other approach that's gained interest is PrEP, so pre-exposure prophylaxis. How do we define that? That's giving antiretrovirals to an HIV-negative person who's at risk for acquiring the infection. And so the theory here, the hypothesis, is that ART on board, oops, I keep doing that, sorry, back one, ART present in the bloodstream and in the genital tract um, and the rectum, HIV may be unable to establish infection if the, the uh, drugs are on board. So treatment equals prevention in that case. So people have been thinking about this for a while. As everyone in the room knows, we have 26 drugs approved for HIV infection. People have literally thought about all of these drugs as possible PrEP drugs, but really most of the effort has focused on two nucleosides that we know well and have been talking about all morning, and that is tenofovir and FTC. So these were chosen for PrEP regimens on the basis of what we know in terms of the antiretroviral potency of the drugs, their tolerability, and their convenience as a single one pill fixed dose combination. Um, as we all know in the room, there are potential concerns about using tenofovir FTC. And remember, the level of concern is raised here because we're now talking about giving this for prevention in HIV negative people. So they don't have a disease. We're trying to prevent a disease. So safety issues, the balance is, is different than it is in someone who is infected and needs treatment. So uh, some of the concerns, Obviously, we use this combo widely. It's one of the preferred first-line treatments, components of, of regimens. Resistance would be an issue if we breed resistance in the community. There are toxicities such as renal, maybe bone, and then cost. So all of these things have come into play when discussing PrEP. The very first study of PrEP was published back in 2007. And this was done in West Africa. It's a phase two study. That's a safety study. And uh, it was a randomized clinical trial. The participants were women, over 900 women in three African countries. And they were randomized either to tenofovir by itself, standard dose, or a matching placebo once a day. And the primary endpoint of the study was simply safety. So this was conducted between 2004 and 2006. And what they conclude in the uh, publication there was no evidence of increased clinical or laboratory side effects from using this. 
Importantly, they also uh, assessed behavior. And so the concern was if people think they're getting something to prevent HIV, would they take more risks um, in terms of sexual exposure? And that's called risk compensation. Knowing that you're on something that might prevent HIV, would you compensate by taking more risks? And so in the behavioral assessments, they reported no change in behavioral risks in this group. It was too small a study to assess efficacy. Did it actually work? And when you looked at the seroconversions out of these over 900 women, eight new HIV seroconversions, two in the tenofovir group, six in the placebo group, numerically different, but the numbers were too small and uh, doesn't reach statistical significance. But this confirmed something uh, that we probably could have guessed. Tenofovir was well tolerated in a healthy population when used as PrEP. So this launched a whole series of PrEP studies from around the world. Um, you can see here, done in uh, right here in the good old USA, in South America, lots of countries in Africa, um, as well as Asia. And there were six efficacy studies that were set up. Um, in 13 countries, over 20,000 participants um, in all HIV risk groups enrolled into these studies. In the past year, we've begun to see many of the results from these studies, and I'm going to summarize them for you. The first one that really uh, became available was the IPREX study. So this was the first PrEP efficacy study where we had results. This was a phase three study of PrEP with either tenofovir FTC, the fixed dose, one pill once a day, or a matching placebo. The study group, the population, were uninfected men who have sex with men or transgendered women, and this was a worldwide study. So there were participants from South America, South Africa, Thailand, and the U.S., so truly a, a four-continent study. Um, near, just under 2,500 MSM were enrolled and randomized to one of the two groups. When they went back and looked at the data, it turned out 10 of the men who were entered the study were actually undergoing acute seroconversion at the time, and it wasn't suspected. Um, and so I'll, I'll point out what happened to those 10 men differently. But what you see in the graph is how many infections in each group. So in the placebo group, there were 64 new HIV infections. And in the group that got PrEP, there were 36 infections. So you can see that's about a 40% reduction in HIV infection in the group that took the single pill PrEP. This was updated for us uh, just this last summer, and the numbers continue, but overall there was a 45% reduction in HIV infection in those who received the active PrEP, and that was highly statistically significant. Interestingly, they did a sub-study where they simply measured drug levels. And if uh, a man had a measurable level of tenofovir and FTC in that group, 92% reduction in the risk of acquiring HIV. So guess what? Adherence turns out to be important. You've got to take the pill for it to actually work to avoid the infection. So this, again, was a big splash in gay men. PrEP seemed to prevent HIV infection on the order of about 40 to 45 percent. They did a number of different um, analyses, looking at an intention-to-treat analysis, a modified intent-to-treat. They did as-treated in men who said that they took 50 percent or more of their doses, or men who said they took 90 percent or more of their doses, or men who said that they had had unprotected receptive anal intercourse at baseline. 
And you could see that the p-values were significant for all of these. So in each one of these subgroups, it turns out that the efficacy of the PrEP um, pill was uh, demonstrated against placebo. And you can see efficacy rates that rise to as high as 73% in the most adherent men or 58% in those engaging in the riskiest of behaviors. But again, adherence was important. So this breaks down into men who said that they had more than 90% adherence, 50 to 90, or less than 50. And again, the number of infections in averted, avoided um, efficacy rate was the highest in the group that took the most pills. So 68% if you took more than 90% of your pills, dropping off to only 16% efficacy in those who took PrEP less than half the time. And the same issue, if you had drug detectable, that, that was the group that showed the highest efficacy of taking the PrEP pill. What were the concerns about it? Well, one was drug resistance. Now, here what is done in this chart is to separate out the 10 men who entered the study who were seroconverting, had acute HIV infection. The last thing we'd want to do is give them a two-pill regimen with tenofovir and FTC because you'd be worried about resistance. And in fact, of those 10 men, three developed resistance mutations. When you looked at the other 100 infections that occurred on the study, no resistance was seen in the placebo group. Well, we would hope that would be true. But importantly, no resistance was seen in the tenofovir FTC group as well. That may be because they weren't taking their pills there. But importantly, this brought out the point that if a person is seroconverting, is an acute infection, you would not want to give them PrEP and we should be screening for acute infection when we think about possibly giving PrEP. So all future studies began to look at that group carefully. What about adverse events? So creatinine elevations were more common with tenofovir FTC, and you can see 2% or 28 events compared with only 1% or 15 events in placebo. Those numbers don't quite reach statistical significance, but are numerically higher with tenofovir. There uh, was statistically more nausea, 22 versus 10 events, P.04. Most of this occurred within the first two weeks of the study and then uh, trailed off. And then for reasons that aren't crystal clear, intentional weight loss, 34 in the tenofovir group versus 19. Unintentional weight loss, more common with tenofovir. Maybe that's related to the nausea. All other adverse events not significantly different between the two groups. They looked carefully at bone changes. So this is looking at spine, lumbar spine, and also total hip. And you can see that there are decreases in bone mineral density as measured by DEXA scan, um, compared with really no change in placebo. That was only seen in the spine and really not seen in the hip over the course of the study. And so this is being carefully looked at as well. So the CDC looked at this knew that clinicians like us were aware of this and came out with some interim guidance. And so these are CDC guidelines for the use of PrEP in MSM, and they were published last January, earlier this year. What they say is before starting PrEP, if you're considering it, document HIV antibody negative and rule out acute infection. So those 10 men who entered IPREX were having febrile illnesses. They were diagnosed as viral illness or upper respiratory or other things. But 
if you're thinking about PrEP, we need to do it in people without an acute febrile illness. Um, they say screen the creatinine clearance, screen for sexually transmitted infections and hepatitis B. Obviously, uh, we're using two drugs that are effective against hep B, and you'd want to know it. The, they recommend using tenofovir FTC one pill once a day for 90 days, so three months. Provide risk reduction adherence counseling and condoms, and then on treatment, check the HIV antibody every two to three months. Um, check the BUN and creatinine at three months and yearly, and keep on counseling about risk reduction, uh, condoms, and sexually transmitted infections. So that's the guidance to us, to the community, on PrEP for MSM. The next study to come out, and we have not formally heard these results, so yet again another press release where we are basing big decisions on. And this was a study called FEMPREP, and this completely confused people after the IPREX study. So this was a very similarly designed study, double-blind randomized study of PrEP, tenofovir FTC, one pill once a day, versus placebo. But this time the target population was HIV-negative heterosexual African women. And see the, you can see the size of the study, over 1,900 women. This study was stopped early by the Independent Data Safety and Monitoring Board because they felt that it was highly unlikely to show a benefit to PrEP in this population. So it was based statistically, there was not going to be an opportunity to show a benefit. They re said in the press release there were about 5% of the women in each group were acquiring HIV infection per year. They had about a 10% loss to follow-up rate, and the women self-reported 95% adherence on average. So PrEP didn't seem to work in this group. Why? We still don't know. It's not clear. Um, is it a biological lack of effect? Could there be suboptimal PK of these drugs in uh, vaginal tissues or vaginal secretions? Or was it an adherence issue? We still don't know. But this very much confused people. Why should PrEP work in gay men but not in heterosexual women? So, again, the CDC took a look and made, came out with a formal statement for PrEP in women following the release of these results. And here's what the CDC says. The CDC cautions against women using PrEP at this time. We will not know if it's effective for women, couples, or injection drug users until more conclusive results are available. That's the current recommendation for women in the United States. Well, then this summer, as Joel reviewed for us earlier, two big studies of PrEP came out, um, which are both important. One came from the CDC called the TDF2 study. Again, similar design, double-blind, placebo-controlled. This one was done in Botswana. 18 to 39-year-olds, heterosexuals, both men and women, who were sexually active. And it was over 1,200 uh, patients. Nearly half were women. You can see they're grouped here. About half were on tenofovir FTC, the other half on placebo. About 10% were lost throughout the study on time. There were nine infections with tenofovir FTC. And as you see, nearly three times as many, 24 in the placebo group. That's a protective efficacy of 63%. No differences in safety and no differences by gender in this particular study. And right next to that presentation in Rome was the Partners PrEP study, which looked at 4,700 plus serodiscordant couples in Kenya and Uganda. And then stop for a minute and think about serodiscordant couples. So we're targeting the negative member of the couple 
They know their partner is positive. This has got to be the most motivated group that you could study PrEP in because they have almost a constant exposure sexually. So they, this was a, very, a group that consisted of the HIV negative group, 38% women, 62% men, and nearly all were married. They had excellent retention, excellent adherence, and 27%, nearly a third, reported unprotected sex at baseline. And this actually decreased during the study. It's contrary to what you might have guessed, that it possibly could increase this decrease. So here's the results. One group got tenofovir by itself, one tenofovir FTC, and one group got placebo. Here's the new infections, 18 versus 13 versus 47. So statistically fewer in both of the intervention groups compared with the placebo group. 62% efficacy with one drug, 73% with two. Those are both statistically different from nothing, placebo, but not statistically different from one another. And importantly, no difference in side effects, lab abnormalities, or deaths on the study. So two side-by-side -side studies in African heterosexuals, both men and women, showing that PrEP worked in those groups. There are two more big studies that are uh, in progress right now. One is in injection drug users in Thailand, over 2,400. That study is fully enrolled, and we expect to see the results this year. And the other is a study called VOICE. This is sponsored by the NIH network, the MTN Microbicide Trials Network, being done in three African countries. 5,000 women were enrolled and randomized to one of these four arms, tenofovir by itself, tenofovir with FTC, these are both oral, vaginal tenofovir gel, or placebo. So this is looking at both a microbicide or an oral PrEP. And just last month, we learned that the Independent Data Safety Monitoring Board, who is monitoring this study, recommended to stop the tenofovir alone arm. And so we don't know a lot of details about this other than it seemed to have not been effective. So that part of the study is now stopped. The other arms, the tenofovir FTC and the tenofovir gel, continue to go on, and we anticipate those results. So is it getting confusing yet? Yes, it's a bit confusing. But people are now trying to do this. So the Bay Area Reporter is uh, one of the gay papers in San Francisco, just had a headline last month that said, San Francisco is set to offer anti-HIV pill to gay men. This is a CDC-funded project, a demonstration project, to see if PrEP will work uh, when used in the community. And so we anticipate hearing how that goes as well. Now, the CDC does offer us some guidance. Note that every study I've shared with you so far involving over 20,000 people is all looking at the same strategy, either tenofovir by itself or tenofovir and FTC. The CDC says when you think about drugs for prophylaxis, pick effective drugs. You need maybe to combine these with personal protective measures. Um, choose well-tolerated drugs, minimize side effects. Consider concomitant conditions like pregnancy and kidney disease. Consider drug-drug interactions. Try to give daily medicines. Try to pick the least expensive. That all sounds good, right? This is about malaria prophylaxis. Okay? So we could apply all of this to prophylaxis in general. These are all reasonable qualities. But remember, for malaria prophylaxis, we have lots of choices. 
And so all of these are recommended, and you're supposed to match this to the person who is requesting prevention of that disease. So a couple things. So we've pre been preventing this disease, malaria, for a number of years by giving drugs, some of which we use for treatment, but we have lots of options. So a couple of us began to think, well, we need options for HIV-2. Tenofovir and FTC are not everything. So we began to think about the drug Maraviroc, that it has potential advantages for PrEP. What are those? It's an entry inhibitor. It works at the first step of HIV infection. Uh, we have a safety profile now. It's been a, approved over, uh, for over five, or sorry, in clinical trials for over five years. It achieves high tissue levels. It's three times higher in the vagina or vaginal secretions than it is in the blood, and it's eight, 26 times higher in rectal tissue than in the blood. That's ob of obvious benefit. It's prevented HIV infections when used as PrEP in animals. Drug resistance is uncommon because it's targeting the host receptor, not the virus. We use this drug uncommonly for HIV, so there's very little resistance in the community. And finally, you can dose it once a day by pharmacokinetics. There are some potential disadvantages. There's limited safety data in uninfected people. It's only been taken by an HIV-negative person for six weeks, but no longer. So we need some prolonged safety data. Uh, it, there is increased pathogenicity of people with the CCR5 Delta 32 deletion. Uh, West Nile virus is an example. There could be other safety risks. It's not active against X4 virus. It's not labeled for once-a-day dosing, and there are drug-drug interactions. So we are about to start the first PrEP study ever done in New York City. Um, Boston, San Francisco, Atlanta have all been the sites of the previous ones. But we're about to start a study called Next Prep, And this is novel examination of therapies for PrEP. And so what is it? We're going to be, it's a phase two safety study to show the safety of Maraviroc. Um, it's going to be in 400 at-risk HIV negative men across the United States. We're the New York site. There are 12 other sites or 11 other sites across the country. What does at-risk mean here? It means someone who has had either insertive or receptive anal intercourse unprotected with a partner who's either known to be positive or of unknown serostatus within the last three months. So that's our arbitrary definition for at-risk. They're going to be randomized to one of four arms, Maraviroc by itself, Maraviroc FTC, Maraviroc tenofovir, or the control arm from the IPREC study, tenofovir FTC. It's a 48-week study. And again, the primary endpoint is safety and tolerability. We're about to start recruiting for the study, so if people are interested um, or have referrals, we're happy to talk to you about that. Oh, did I say it's coming soon? It's coming soon. So in conclusion, I think you'd agree we need new prevention strategies, particularly in the MSM community. PrEP was effective. Um, in reducing HIV infections in MSM and heterosexual men. There's conflicting data in heterosexual women that are, remain unexplained. We have two studies that show efficacy and two that question the efficacy. CDC is updating their guidelines, and those should be uh, available in January. Uh, there are a host of logistical and implementation issues that I didn't get into, and additional research is in progress. And lastly, uh, there are the highly attractive Cornell Clinical Trials Unit staff, some of whom are here today, and our phone number if you have questions. And I'll stop there. Thank you.